Well, good morning. Good to be with you. Uh, if you have a Bible and you would like to follow along, you can turn with me to Isaiah 35. You can find that on page 595 in your pew Bible in front of you. Um, I'll refer to Psalm 90 occasionally if it's there for you if you need it, but otherwise we'll be mainly looking at Isaiah 35. So let me welcome you to Redeemer this morning. Uh, it's great to have you here with us. As uh, Sean told you, I'm Chris Talley, and I got the privilege to serve here for 11 years before spending four in Atlanta and the last four months now in Morristown planting a church there. But uh, we're glad that you're here with us. And um, I asked Sean if I could try this on just to practice, and he said I could. But you know, this morning there are a million different things you could be doing uh, if you were here. And uh, you know, uh, one of the things I thought you might would be doing is you might be stretching your holiday break just a little longer and maybe attend Bedside Baptist. Or you could be taken in the last day. Oh, don't worry, Presbyterians do the, they have their churches for that too, for Presbyterians and Methodists and all that sort of thing. Um, or you could be taken in the last day to do ice skating over at Market Square. Or you could be getting ready for the WDVX downtown jam today. But you're not. Instead, you decided to come here, and so we're thankful that you are. Uh, so we welcome you to Redeemer. And what is Redeemer? Well, as Sean says every week, Redeemer is a church. That means that you are a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God and to love one another and to love your neighbors. And you try to do that by resting in God's love, by reminding one another of God's love, and by reflecting God's love here in Urban and University, Knoxville. And I actually think this passage this morning helps you to be a better Redeemer because it actually helps us to think about what is our deepest longing? What is it our heart is most set upon? Not so much, I don't want you to think about this about what you think your deepest longing is, but think about it from the perspective of the one who engineered you, who made you body and soul, who made you as a person in his image. What is the deepest longing God has woven inseparably from the fabric of who, who you are? What has he chiefly made you to be and do? And after all, uh, God has made us to be creatures, right? Full of desire, strong desires. Uh, he's made us to desire to be free, not enslaved. He's made us to be desire to be safe and whole, not in danger. He's given us desires to have purpose and meaning and to feel valuable, uh, not to be trash. He's made us uh, with desires to be loved and honored, not forsaken. And these are all good, and they're from God. But the Bible says that there's really a desire that sort of encompasses all these other ones. And Psalm 90, verse 1, actually shows us a little bit of what that is. And the psalmist, uh, and they think this actually comes from Moses, says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You see, our our longest, deepest desire is to be home with God and for God to be at home with us. And I think Isaiah 35 is going to show this a little more clearly, so let's read it together. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord 
the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall not belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, if we're honest, we live in a world and are a people, Lord, who are full of sorrow and sighing. And so, Lord, we pray you would sing by your spirit, Lord, the good news gospel chords of Christ born today. We're born in us and for us. We're born for the redemption of the world. Show us wonderful things, Lord, in your word. Show us your gospel, clear and true. In Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Appreciate that. So Isaiah 35 is a picture of transformation. It's a picture of an extreme home makeover. You know, Ty Pennington would be green with envy at uh, this being able to do this kind of makeover. The context of Isaiah 35 uh, is that it's written to a people who are in Exile, people who've been uprooted, a people who've been dislocated. You know, to be exiled is to be barred from the place you most long to be, which is home. Um, some of you know my brother-in-law, not the one who's here today. There's another one who lives in Connecticut now. He's from Assam, and he recently got to visit India again for a month to go be with his mother and brother, um, see his aunts and uncles, his cousins. And he came back, and he just wanted the call to tell me just how sad he was. So much has changed since he's really lived there. He feels like for the negative, and he just feels like it's not his home anymore. He feels dislocated in the world. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be a foreigner living here and to feel like your homeland where you live was no longer home. But I actually know what that feels like. Uh, so, you know, I grew up uh, in sort of a dysfunctional family, but one thing that made our family function well was grandma. Uh, my grandmother had 10 children, and uh, she remarried a man late in life, had 13 other children that married in, so a huge tally Stanfield family. Kemper's a part of that somewhere uh, as a cousin way off in the distance, but uh, we love getting together at Grandma's house every Sunday, and so even though as I grew up and had my own family and Grandma had passed away, I always loved going to Grandma's house, at least driving by and seeing this old white clabbered uh, sort of uh, house that was huge, two and a half stories, 
It had a basement. It had a dry cellar. I had two attics. It had multiple bedrooms. It was just wonderful. It was such a wonderful uh, reminiscence of childhood memories um, and so many wonderful things. And so I wanted one time to go by and show my family Grandma's house. Even though Grandma was gone, I could at least show her a tangible piece of what had held my life together. And as we rounded Wharton Avenue and came up uh, where Grandma's house was, it was gone. Now, Grandma's house had burned to the ground. Uh, it was a 100-plus-year-old house, and someone had tried to use the fireplace that Grandma never wisely used and ended up burning the whole thing down. And I was really mad at my dad. My dad should have called to tell me Grandma's house was gone, but he didn't. I had to find it in sort of this unsuspecting, really shocking sort of way. But that has always stayed with me. It has stayed with me to make me realize, you know what? I am always someone who is trying to cultivate and make a home in this world. You know, right now, we, we left Atlanta after four years, and believe it or not, we loved our home and our neighborhood in Atlanta. And in fact, in some ways, our home and our neighborhood doesn't quite feel like a home yet in Morristown. You know, what does it take to make a house a home? And so we're always seeking to do that. We're seeking to find something permanent and to be a place where we feel like we belong and are loved and are valued and are cherished. And I just want to encourage you that Psalm 35 is trying to get us to recognize that actually our truest home is not 247 Dedrick Avenue or 2034 Butler Way or... Uh, 1133 Clarence Lane. Those are my last three homes. Those are not our homes. Our home is actually with God and God at home with us. And so we see this in three different ways here in Isaiah 35. First, Isaiah wants to show us our present reality, the promised future, and his pathway home. So I want you to first notice our present reality. Now, there's actually a lot of positivity in here, and the, the Israelites needed to hear some positivity from Isaiah because the previous three chapters or four chapters is a lot of judgment on the people of God. In fact, that's what's shocking about Isaiah is that God is not, he does sometimes judge other nations, but judgment first comes to the household of God. It comes to God's people. He has words of condemnation that are just because why? Because the people of God have lost their way. They have forgotten their first love. They have wandered away from the shepherd who delivered them and brought them out of the house of Egypt and into a promised land where they could experience God's presence. You know, earlier I told you God has made us a people of desire. And C.S. Lewis captured this well when he said that the Lord finds our desires not too strong, but they're too weak. Our desires are too weak because we're always looking to put them in things that will fade away. We're half-hearted creatures who are fooling about literally with everything when actually he offers us infinite joy in himself. You know, we'd rather go on being playing in the mud than having a holiday at the sea with the Lord because we're far too easily pleased. And what has been the result of this? What has been the result of this for God's people, both in Isaiah's day and in our own day? It's resulted in the fact that we have weak hands and we have feeble knees and we have anxious hearts. You know, Isaiah is a beautiful writer. If you were to read uh, any of the book besides the Gospels and the Psalms, 
I'd encourage you to read Isaiah a lot because he's very beautiful. And these images of weak hands and feeble knees and anxious hearts, you know what? You've experienced those. I mean, anyone ever stayed up all night with anxiety? Have you ever been in a moment of fear, whether physical or emotional or spiritual, and your knees knocked? Have you ever realized life was so heavy you couldn't continue to hold things together? You know, um, I've recently started going back uh, to CrossFit, and I've done that, one, mainly to meet people, but it's a great way to exercise together with others, and you know, there's nothing better than suffering with about 20 other people at the same time. That's the best part of it. And recently we did this workout, and I thought, like, you know what? I am going to crush this workout. I mean, it's just a short farmer's walk of 100 meters. That's 50 down and back. It's just 70-pound kettlebells in each hand, 140 pounds. I can do this. Well, two rounds in, I dropped to the 50-pound kettlebells. And about three more rounds in, I was ready to go to the 35-pound kettlebells, but there were all these other women doing the 35-pound kettlebells, and my pride would not let me go that far. My hands were not strong enough, really, to do that workout well. And, you know, if we're really honest, our hands aren't strong enough either to hold life together. And what else does that Isaiah show us here that is, the, is wrong in the world? Even though he, he's sort of showing some positive things that God is going to do, but let's be honest, eyes really are blind. Ears really are deaf. Tongues really are mute. Legs really are lame. Our bodies do not work the way we long for them to work. Let's be honest, the world doesn't work the way it should work. I mean, just look right now. Literally in Australia, the sand is burning. It is on fire there with heat. And we look around our world and we see just how even our nations cannot get along with one another. There's always wars and rumors of wars. And so our present reality should drive us One, to honesty, to taking an honest inventory about ourselves, and especially about the way we here in the West want to conjole and configure and to sort of like recast a vision or recast a narrative that shows us winning, that shows us on top of it all, that shows us overcoming. And, you know, it's really such a strange time if you think about it. It was really interesting to read an article last week that said, you know, the last 10 years has been probably the best 10 years in human history. Why has it felt so bad? And that's the perfect summary of our condition. Things have never been better, never been more perfect, and yet we feel so bad. And that's because really and truly, the utopian world that our modern culture is trying to create is just a mirage in the desert. It's just an illusion. And so that should make us honest about our real need to check in and to see that things are not the way they should be, even not only out there, but especially inside our own hearts. So I want to encourage you here as Christmas ends to not run off with the, uh, the craziness of the 2020 hype. You know, there is something about why these round numbers uh, sort of like want to, again, trick us into, like, thinking, like, the best is yet to come. Like, utopia is around the corner. Uh, Man-made heaven is on the way. Uh, Don't get caught up in that hype. But also don't get caught up in the despondency either. 
let the scriptures help you see just exactly where you are, just where the need is, just what your present reality is really like. It is a place where our hands are weak, our weak knees are feeble, and our hearts are very anxious. But secondly, I want you to see that there's not only our present reality that we are to deal with, there's a promised future, not a preferred future, a promised future that God is seeking to bring. So, you know, one of the things I love about coming back here is uh, coming to this awesome, grand, incredible building. I mean, these windows that you have to enjoy, you can thank me. The new roof you got, you're welcome. The rest, we've just left for Sean to figure out and the elders and leaders what to do with this mess. I mean, let's just be honest. As you come up, this building's got great bones. Her dress is not so much to be admired. But just imagine for a moment that your leaders were deciding like they wanted to find a way to cast a new vision. Let's say they went and hired a company. Let's say Studio Four to draw up some plans for them to recreate and re-envision and reimagine what this place could look like. Just imagine if I was able to hold that placard up here for you right now and to show you the promised future, not just a preferred future, but a promised future that if you poured the money into it and you got the sweat equity involved with it and you, and you brought the right people around to make it happen, like this whole building could be radically transformed. Might you knock down a wing of the building? You might. Might you create a new wing? Might something of the old building still be here? Absolutely. But what would be the power of actually having such a visual to help you see the coming future and what really is? Would it might make you a little more patient? Would it might make you willing to put up, you know, with the, the, creaky, the creaky old building? Uh, would it might make you willing to pray and work and give a little harder, to see that come about. It might make you more excited about what God is doing. I think it would. And so I want to encourage you, Isaiah 35 is just that. It is a giant placard, a giant billboard that God has created and painted, and he is saying to you, look what's coming. Take stock of your present situation, but look at the future that I am bringing What's going to happen to it? Well, we see in verse 1, what's going to happen to the wilderness and the dry land? It's going to be glad. Now, you know, this is probably lost on us because, let's be honest, the wilderness you think about is a wilderness like maybe the Smoky Mountains, which is basically almost a uh, subtropical forest. The wilderness here is the place where nothing grows. It's rocky. You can ask Ryan Bowles. He's been to the wilderness. He's been out in, the Jor- in Jordan where, it's, where nothing grows except when the rains come in the spring and whatever little vegetation is dormant there blooms up for a month. And then what happens? The rains go away and the heats come back and it all withers and vanishes again. That's the wilderness Isaiah's talking about. And in fact, he says, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice and the glory of Lebanon and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. So he's drawing on the Israelites for them to remember, hey, you know those national parks you have? You know those beautiful places in the world I've made that look nothing like much of the land that you inhabit? Imagine the glory of those places coming and inhabiting this place. 
He's getting them to use their spiritual imagination to see what God is bringing. See the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. So I just want to encourage you today, when you look out in life this week, whether it's on the internet news or talking with friends, any place you're discouraged, there is something good about lamenting the brokenness of this world. I want to encourage you, don't simply stay in that. There is a time to remember where God is taking things. How are you going to get through this next year? How are you going to get through the next battle God has for you, the next tough stretch of road? And then for all of us at the end of our days, when we're on our bed about to breathe our last, what is going to give us hope that there's something beyond? We have to come back to see God's promised future. And he says, what? Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the, weeble, the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, fear not, be strong. Why? Because you're good enough? Because you're smart enough? Because you're strong enough? No. Because behold, your God will come. He will come with vengeance and he will come with recompense. He is going to come in justice. He is going to come with justice and he's going to make right all the wrongs and he will come and he will save you that is the promised future and the burning sand and the thirsty ground and the haunt of jackals is going to become like moist uh, blossoming fertile soil it is going to be an absolutely beautiful place it's going to be a place where blind eyes see and deaf ears hear where lame legs leap for joy but the question is, is how is that going to come? And that's the path home that we find, really in verses 8 through 10. So you get this incredible vision that the Isaiah wants his people to see, that despite their present reality, that there's a promised future, how is it going to come? It's going to come by a highway. And it'll be called the way of holiness. And the unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, no ravenous beast. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return. And they'll come to Zion with singing. How is that going to come? Now, you know, as I grew up uh, in the um, conservative evangelical southern church I grew up in, I always had this vision that holiness was really up to me. You know, God died on the cross, Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins, and then me living the Christian life was really, really my work for God. And I'm going to tell you something. As I got into my early adulthood, I was absolutely exhausted. I was absolutely exhausted. I would never had any confidence that I was really good enough, that I was doing the right things, that I had the right intention of heart. I'm sure none of you have never felt that way. And then one day I, I began to hear this thing called grace and the gospel. And so as, you know, I always still struggle with this when I come to passages like this. I keep wanting to revert back to thinking this way of holiness is up to me. But, you know, there, there's actually this way of holiness is provided by another. You know, Beth and I recently got to go uh, up to LeConte Lodge. And I got to be honest. That was a long five-mile hike up the hill. You can ask Beth about it. She loved every step. We were sore for days. 
It was glorious when we got there. We had to put a lot of effort into it. But guess what? Could you imagine what it would have been like going up to Lacant Lodge before there was a lodge, before there was an Alum Cave Trail? Could you imagine? I mean, it'd be, I don't know how they did it. It'd be, it would have been impossible for us to do it, to carve the trail out of the rock and the tree and the timber and to navigate the course. And this way of holiness is a way that has been provided for us. And it's way more than just some trail up a mountain that has been cleared. Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who has provided the way for us to have faith, and he is the one who perfects our faith. And it became such a joy to know that, you know what, this Christian life, this is something I get to participate in, but it's something God has provided. It's something he's invited me into. It's something he has marked the way. It's something he has traveled himself already. And really and truly, there are no more ravenous beasts. Not the ones that can really hurt you. Those have been dealt with. And this way of holiness has been provided for us. And it's Christ walking from the cradle, journeying to the cross, all the way to the crown. This pathway of holiness for us. And it's about him redeeming and ransoming us. So one of the reasons I love to come back and visit with you is just even as I drive around and either go visit the Kings and Old Mechanicsville where we lived, this brings back so many memories. And as I was thinking about this passage, about what it means to be redeemed and ransomed, it made me think about a friend that we had made while we were here. His name was Paul. Uh, not Paul Hahn, if you know Paul. This is another Paul. Uh, a friend uh, from the community. And Paul became a really dear friend. Uh, he was one of the bright spots in our ministry uh, here in terms of just his progress and how God was at work in his heart and life. And then Paul had a, a bad bout, and so I was really trying to be a friend to him, and we would have him come over to our house. He stayed with us some. I mean, I loved Paul and thought of Paul so much that we even let him watch our kids from time to time. And one day I came home while he was in a bad bout, and Paul was gone. So was my wife's diamond ring. I was like, oh, man. I knew what had happened. Uh, he was in a bad spot, and he was going to use that ring for something, for something else. And so we went, and we actually found the ring. And, you know, we had really a choice. I could pay to get the ring out, and Paul could go free on that. Or I could turn Paul in, let him pay for it, and I get the ring back. But somehow that ring had to be ransomed. It had to be redeemed. It had to be bought back. And so guess what I chose? I turned Paul into the police. I was going to let him ransom that. And I felt really bad about it. And as I was visiting him uh, in the county lockup, uh, I said, Paul, I'm really sorry that I did that to you. And he goes, you know what, man? Actually, you did the right thing. He goes, you actually helped redeem my life in this crazy moment by turning me over to get the ring back. And you know, that's exactly a small little picture of what God has done. I think about Jesus willing to do the ultimate sacrifice to redeem and to ransom us. 
to go in our place, to come and live the life we should have lived so that he could die the death we deserve to die. And then to top it all off, to give us the greatest hope of all and to be raised from the dead and to sit in heaven and to shower gifts upon us today to help us follow in his path, way of holiness that he has marked out for us. So I just want to encourage you this morning as you march off into 2020, as you march off into this week, into life, take Isaiah 35 with you. Let it be a picture for you to help you where you are. In fact, I encourage you, you know, a great exercise is to start with the beginning and the end in mind. Maybe this year, take some time to read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Go to Revelation 21 and 22 and saturate in those. See where things started, what happened to them, how they went astray with us, and how God is at work through the Lamb, redeeming, ransoming, restoring, renewing all things. It is so cool to know that the gospel is so holistic, that God cares about your heart and soul. He cares about his creation. He cares, and he wants us to come home to be with him. I love what Charles Wesley says. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. May the Lord be at work, making our legs no longer lame, our hearts full of joy, even in the midst of hardship, to follow him in his way all the way home. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And yet, Lord, we know that uh, because of our first parents and because of our complicit, uh, Lord, active sinning with them, where sin has come. But we give thanks that Christ was born for this, that Christ was born to save. Lord, give us a vision of how you long for us to be at home with you. We thank you, Lord, for the promise and revelation. Lord, that one day you will be at home with us and we will be at home with you. Lord, give us tastes and glimpses of home even now of what you're doing in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.